you're just taken out of that moment again, like the dichotomy between these magical Hollywood musical moments and then just snapping back to reality is so good and so different every time he does it. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Hey, Rob here. So before we get things started, I have a great conversation with the Lady Juan coming up about La La Land, but uh, for reasons that I will make clear over the course of the episode, I wanted to open it up with a little commentary from my daughter making <laughs> her official podcast debut. What's, what are you laughing about? You're funny. You're being funny. So honey, what do you think of La La Land? Good. Okay. What, do you, what are your favorite parts? What do you love about it? Um, oh, I like Mia. Yeah. Yeah, I like the friends, too. What about Sebastian? I don't like Sebastian because he's mean. <laughs> he's mean? Yeah. What's, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite song in La La Land? Um, the car one. The car one? Yeah. Do you want to sing any of it? No. Do you want to sing, um, You got the invitation. You got, you got the white dress. You need some medication. medication. The answer is always yes. A little chance encounter. We know what we're waiting for. So squeeze a bit more. Well, I want to listen to the podcast. Okay. Also, <laughs> on top of this. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the 2016 uh, drama, musical, romance, uh, La La Land, written and directed by Damien Chazelle. And I'm honored to welcome to the show, The Lady Juan. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Thank you for having me. So this is your first time on. So tell people a little bit about Screen Fix, your show. Yeah, so my show is about recent movies. So we'll do the big box office movie of the week, usually, and we fix it. So we give ideas for character development, plot changes, maybe filling in a plot hole, or just honestly, sometimes we change the whole movie. And it's all in good fun. We love movies. We always, you know, get into reviews and spoilers and and go into every detail about the film, but we have a good time suggesting alternatives for it. So does that get tricky when it's a, a really great movie like like the one we're gonna talk about today? Or <laughs> um honestly I think I've had some of my favorite fixes in movies that I loved. So we okay. we fixed Black Panther and I love that movie, but we had some crazy fun ideas for it. So it's always a good conversation. Whether we love a movie or hate it, we'll still fix it. Yeah, well, I guess when it's a great movie, then you, it just gets to be, you just get to have more fun with it, more yeah. like, like nitpicky. You're like, <laughs> well, I didn't like the way that Chadwick Boseman had his hair in this one scene. <laughs> or, um, yeah, I didn't like the way that Michael B. Jordan pronounces auntie. Why does he call it auntie? That's not how you say it in my household. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, obviously, your name is uh, derived from Star Wars. So, since mm -hmm. I have you on here, what did you think of... The Rise of Skywalker. I know you did an episode on it, but people that haven't heard that might not know. Yeah, we did. Um, I didn't hate the movie as a movie. It was fine. It was entertaining. You know, it's it's a movie. I'm not, mm -hmm. not holding it to any kind of crazy standard, but I found the idea of it being 
a wrap up to a saga to be incredibly disappointing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, right from the, the, I was telling my wife this recently because I, I write for, I, I write about entertainment a lot in my day job and that kind of thing. So I'm constantly thinking about a lot of this <laughs> stuff more than I should, um, <laughs> which is obvious to anyone that listens to the show. But uh, but yeah, just right from the opening crawl, like the dead speak. And I was like, uh-oh, oh, oh yeah. no, bad feeling. I have a bad feeling about this, <laughs> literally. Um, so perfect. And I don't hate it because I, I, you know, my wife, Kai, and I did an episode on The Rise of Skywalker as well. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of good things to say about it. But I, it's, it's one of the most frustrating, it's the most frustrating Star Wars movie, I think. Like if you go into Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones or some of the other like lesser movies, I feel like you kind of know where you're at is a pretty stable, I, I guess, uh, equilibrium. So you're like, mm-hmm. okay, this is whatever. And this is what, but then with the rise of Skywalker, I feel like you're, you're just like whiplashed from something completely baffling to something mm-hmm. really cool. And it's just, so as a star Wars fan, I latch on to the positive things, but as a movie mm-hmm. critic, I'm like, Oh, bad. <laughs> JJ, what are, you, what are you doing to me? Yeah. He's Did, would you agree with good. some of that? <laughs> yes, completely. It is. Um, it's definitely one of those that like, I bet a lot of like kids watching it were like, that was awesome. And it's like, that's because you don't know what a good movie is yet. Yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's okay. It's at least somebody <laughs> enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So cool. So before we get into our, our conversation about La La Land, since we're talking about screen fix, and I know you love this movie because when I asked you what did you what you wanted to talk about, this is the one you selected. So <laughs> what would be if you could do one fix for La La Land? What would you uh, What would you fix? Honestly, I didn't. This didn't occur to me when I first saw it. It was pointed out to me by my co-host on Screen Fix, JC, who said, oh yeah, it's a musical for half the movie and then it stops. And I was mm. like, oh, why did you have to say that? <laughs> like you <laughs> really pointed that out. Like it just didn't occur to me that it, it, there's just this long stretch without any musical numbers. And I feel like we could have squeezed another one in there before the audition song at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I think to be, to play devil's advocate, I think a lot of musicals are kind of structured that way Mm -hmm. uh, that, that the top half is like very music heavy and then latter, you know, the latter part tends to get more story driven and less, uh, less musical oriented, unless you're talking (laughs) about something like Sweeney Todd or something where it's like 95% music. Yeah. Uh, And then that's obviously a different, a totally different approach, but yeah, I agree with you. That's a good point. Um, so I, I think let's just, we should probably just get into it. Cause as I said, right before we recorded the call or before I hit record, I have a way more notes than I probably should. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you have, uh, have a lot you want to get to as well. So without further ado, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for Lala. It's pretty strange that we keep running into each other. Maybe it means something. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. You could just write your own roles, you know, write something that's as interesting as you are. What are you going to do? I have my own club. Is that going to happen every time? I think so. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. 
That was a little bit of the trailer for La La Land, written and directed by Damien Chazelle. So the lady won. What, uh, mm-hmm. Under what circumstances did you first see this movie? And what did you, what was your initial reaction to it? So I saw this movie because I had nothing to do one afternoon. It was like around the holiday season. I think it was maybe like mid, mid January. It wasn't when it first came out. Like I saw the trailers. I was like, that looks weird. This is like this, some weird old Hollywood musical, but Ryan Gosling's in it. Like, what is this nonsense? I'm not seeing this, but I had nothing to do one day. I went and saw it and I walked out and I was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with this movie. (laughs) Like immediately I loved it. And I think it was the week before the Golden Globes and it won like everything at the Golden Globes. And I was like, yes, it should be winning. Yes. Like I was just so pumped up about it. And then I saw it again. And then as soon as iTunes was like, you can pre-order this movie. I was like, I'm on it. Like I was immediately listening to the soundtrack on Spotify all day, every day, Never been so happy to sit in traffic as when I'm listening to Another Day of Sun. Like, just full on got obsessed with it immediately. Nice. Yeah, I, I saw <laughs> it, I think I saw it probably around the same time as you because uh, my daughter, who's now a little over three, she was born December 2016, oh. right when this movie was coming out around there. Yeah. So this was actually the very first movie that we that my daughter saw in the theater when she was like six weeks old. We went Aww. to the movie theater with her. So that's like, it ingrained in my memory. It's like, yeah. oh, this is her first movie. You know, me being a movie guy, that's important. Yes, to me. So I feel, like I, I feel like I feel closer to it because of that. And then, yes, since yeah. then, um, seen it a million, you know, seen it several times, not a million times, but seen, listen to the soundtrack a million times for sure. Yes. And we should also mention that this movie only cost 30 million to make and made 446 million <laughs> worldwide. Like this was legit. That's bonkers. A, a box office phenomenon for... What a movie that I like, I always like to describe it as kind of a um, kind of a cross section between a big Hollywood musical, but made with a with an indie sensibility. That's usually mm-hmm. the way that I try and kind of break this down. And, and I'm sure we'll get more into that as we go along. And obviously it won a lot of uh, a lot of Oscars, best actress, director, <laughs> not best picture, nope. contrary to people that may have turned <laughs> the, the Oscars off like a moment before, uh, a moment too soon in 2017. So going into the the Oscars, then you were, uh, were you rooting for La La Land or were you feeling a little uh, mixed with some of the other nominations? I was pretty, pretty into La La Land. I hadn't (laughs) seen everything. um, I will fully admit, Uh, even to this day, I feel terrible about it. I have not seen Moonlight. And (laughs) <laughs> like I, I wanted to see it before we had this conversation because I just listened to your episode about Parasite mm-hmm. and you guys comparing like if Parasite wins, that's kind of like when Moonlight won, if 1917 wins, that was like if La La Land was going to yeah, win, yeah. Like, I have to see Moonlight before we talk. And then I just didn't get to it. So I do feel well, you were, bad you were too that. busy, too busy listening <laughs> to La La Land soundtrack. I mean, that's <laughs> like has... on repeat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think that's, that was kind of the thing unfortunate thing that happened right before the Oscars is that, you know, you always have these movies and they're often both great movies that get mm-hmm. pitted against each other. And yeah. I think in that moment, I was conflicted because, as I said, in the Parasite episode, I think Moonlight is the more progressive, more interesting choice. Mm-hmm. But I love La La Land too, so I would have been fine either way. So that was a scenario where I was just like, yay, La La Land. Oh, wait, yeah. yay, Moonlight. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess as like a movie fan, I'm kind of always rooting for the underdog movie to win Best Picture because, I mean, now everyone's going to see Parasite. And mm-hmm. it, if it hadn't won 
it wouldn't have happened that way. So now everyone will go see it. So, you know, the movie that needs the extra attention, that's the one that I want to win. It, they're, they're all great movies when they're nominated for Best Picture. I mean, Joker's okay, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, shameless plug. Listen to uh, the Screen Fix episode of Joker for a very special guest star for yes. our thoughts on that. Oh, we um, fixed that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. We fixed the hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so La La Land, obviously big Oscar player, big box office, uh, you know, earner, I guess. Um, have you seen uh, Whiplash before you went to see La La Land? Not before. I saw it after. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you are you generally a fan of Damien Chazelle's work now or or just mostly La La Land? I'm going to say mostly La La Land. Um, Whiplash is amazing. I love it. I've never had my hands be so sweaty while I'm watching a movie. Um, <laughs> it was so intense. But um, I just can't can't get over La La Land. It's like, it's my favorite thing ever. I can't believe he wanted to make La La Land before he wanted to make Whiplash. Mm. That's like just a crazy concept to me that he was like, this is the movie I'll make when I'm, you know, just starting. Like, it's such a big concept that yeah, it really I, is. it's wild. It's so ambitious. I think, and obviously J.K. Simmons has a, a small sort of cameo role in yes. La La Land, but <laughs> I think there is some, all, there's also some thematic, I think, connections between the two of them about, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to be great, wanting to pursue your dreams versus having, you know, a normal relationship. And it, yeah. how do those two coexist? That's obviously a big theme throughout La La Land. For so. Sure. As I said, you you wanted to talk about La La Land. What is it about this movie that you love so much? I guess let's start there. I think I love everything about it. Is that a good place to start? Um, <laughs> sure, sure. We'll just, so yeah, the meander around. amazing. Like from the jump, the first number, which doesn't have our stars in it, is just a bunch of random people. It just immediately puts you in the mood of what this movie is going to be. So I love how it's structured. I love the music. I love the red, blue, yellow, and green repeating through everything. Mm-hmm. Love the the two stars of it, obviously. Um, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are amazing in it. And I really, truly love that they don't end up together. Like that just made me so excited to see. Like, I know it's sad, but I was like, that's great. Like life doesn't always work out like perfectly. Like they shouldn't end up together. This whole movie about how life is a crazy movie and we have dreams and all of this and, but they don't get what they want. Like they get what is working for them. They get the right thing for them, which isn't necessarily like the Hollywood ending. I loved that. Yeah, completely. And I should mention, obviously, for people who hadn't figured it out yet, we're not worried about spoilers. The movie's several <laughs> years old. Get on it if you haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and the movie does this cool thing that that Little Women actually kind of does too, where it gives mm. you the ending you want, but it also gives you the Hollywood, you know, gives you the the ending that makes sense for the story, but it also gives yeah. you like the big Hollywood ending in a way too. Yeah. So we yeah. kind of see both outcomes. Uh, and I, And I think it does that kind of ingeniously and, and as we're sort of alluding to there's there's this whole dichotomy going on between the the dream world and like the real world it sounds like the matrix but the way yeah. i'm describing it but you it's very clear moments where you're in your irl as the kids say in the movie <laughs> i'm 36 so they're all um <laughs> Uh, where you're IRL and then where you transition into nope now you're in a big Hollywood musical all of a mm-hmm. sudden and yeah. I think another that starts with another day of sun everybody's sitting in traffic kind of tapping and honking their corns or whatever and just waiting and 
you know, the movie makes it clear from the jump that if you're not into this, there's your, there's the exit. Like <laughs> yeah. people just start bursting into song. It gets very kind of chaotic and purposefully it looks like he, he chose a very diverse group of people, mm-hmm. men, women, different ages, different uh, ethnicities, different backgrounds. And I think that, that the whole point of that is, you know, obviously the, the, the whole stories about the, the ones who dream. That's kind of the, mm-hmm. the whole thing. That was the, that was the, um, the message they were beating throughout award circuit every time they got an award. This is for those who dream. Um, yeah. so, so let's talk about Another Day of Sun a little bit. The movie yeah. does start very classic Hollywood style with that big musical number. So what, what are some of the things about it that really jump out to you? So I've watched that scene so many times. I just... I I love looking ahead at how I'm like, okay, this is the next person who's going to take over. This is the one who's going to jump in. Like, <laughs> I just love the one shot of it all. Um, I bought the movie, obviously, like I said, I pre-ordered it immediately on iTunes. So I've watched all of the special features. There's a whole separate like mini documentary on the making of just that scene. And it, it was shot in just two days. Like they did all their rehearsals and did everything. Um, two days, closed that highway. And accomplish what I think is a pretty impressive feat. Um, it's just so like lively and happy in the middle of what is just like everyone's misery, which is like just standstill traffic. It's hot. Like you're going nowhere. There's no end in sight to this. And it just immediately breaks from the drudgery of everyone's commute with fun and colors and excitement. And just, it's so joyful. Like it's so happy. I, I need it. When I'm in traffic, I need that song. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pure idealism, I think. And that's something yes. that both of the characters struggle with at various points mm-hmm. throughout the story. And I, I think that's, you know, that's a great place to sort of put you in that headspace of, remember, this is why people come to LA. This is why, yes. you know, everybody in this in this town is a screenwriter and an actor or trying mm-hmm. to be a director or, you know, whatever, a musician in, in Sebastian's case. Uh, and I really like the way that, that, that um, you know, that theme is just visually come conveyed. And I also was wondering, do you have a particular person in that musical number that, that you're like, Oh, this is my part when they, (laughs) when he or she comes on, because I have one and I wanted to see if you had one as well. So I, this is really weird. I really enjoy loving the, um, the group of drummers in the moving oh, trucks nice. because I know when I'm watching it that they've been in that moving truck the whole time as the scene is leading up to the point where the guy in the white shirt like throws the door up and then they all have like their dance break. I'm right. like, I know they've been in there. And if you look at them, they are drenched in sweat. Like they are <laughs> so sweaty because as soon as they say action, like the door is shut on that van and they just have to wait for him to fling it open. And then they're just looking so excited. Like, yeah, as if they're not like melting. <laughs> so I love those guys just because I know like how that scene was made. And I just think like the performance, just an accomplishment for them, truly. Yeah, they're like, Mr. Chazelle, it's been two days. Have we done yet? <laughs> We're stuck in a moving bed for two days. I um I actually really like the uh the young gentleman in this in the suit, uh the one who comes out of the car and he's like, I hear him every day, the rhythms and the yeah. that'll never fade away. That guy, I like that guy. <laughs> so that's the part that I'm like, oh yeah, this is my this yeah. is my jam. It's um, so good. But no, I, I agree. It's just such a positive such a positive opening to a movie that ultimately is kind of melancholy throughout. Like, yeah, especially as, and we'll get into the seasons uh, when it gets to be mm-hmm. fall, which obviously has a double meaning. 
but yeah, that, I think it's it's a great way to, to start the film. And not only do we get that musical number while we're in traffic, we get to see meet both of our main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I I really love the way that the the um, misdirects that are going on in that scene because she's on the phone and then it's revealed to be an audition and then mm-hmm. um, he comes by and he does something <laughs> that I feel like everyone, including myself, does. Uh, when someone is going really slow or not moving fast enough, you like drive beside them, but you kind of slow down or at least Just glance over. Cause you're like, I got to like, see who this person is doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, what do you think about that? The way we meet these characters, the way that we spend all this time with Mia, and then it c- kind of rewinds to that, that point in which their paths first crossed, uh, to give us Sebastian's side of the story. Oh yeah. I, I love that we get like the dual introductions. I love that she's just so oblivious with her audition that she's like, oh, you know, I should go. Like after he's just like stared her down and laid on the horn, she's like, what is your problem? Like, oh yeah, he was kind of right. Like I I just love that she's so in her head, focused on her own thing. And then we just see like her day is not going well. Um, Her terrible audition is just such a great way to introduce her character after the start at the coffee shop. Um, and then like watching his go back too. I love his whole scene with his sister. Like when we're getting to, to know his whole story, like I, whenever I'm watching a movie, I'm that annoying person who's like, Oh, thanks exposition. Like <laughs> when the writing is kind of like clunky like that and she's explaining everything, but their banter back and forth just keeps it from feeling like she's establishing his character, even though his sister is purely there to establish his character. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel heavy handed. It, it feels just as vital to understanding who Sebastian is as watching Mia bomb an audition. Yeah, no. And you know, she's there to establish the status quo for Sebastian, but then later (laughs) to kind of be a marker in time of, well, first there's the misdirect of, her getting engaged and you think yes. you think it's Mia for a second. Mm-hmm. And then later towards the end of the movie, Sebastian's is playing piano at his sister's wedding. So it's yeah. just like kind of that relationship has, an, has its own story that's been going much better than the one that we're watching. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, at least in the romantic department. And then, um, and then it's also, he is fully in, to go back to my dichotomy of like the two different worlds, he's fully in the dream world. He's like, romanticizing everything and she's just calling him <laughs> on his bullshit he's like i yeah. was shanghai um <laughs> which i love and oh, i think good. that's what makes that scene work and he's yeah. like you don't understand the world is is uh you know what's he saying life is is hitting me and i'm just like wait until he gets tired it's classic <laughs> rope a phoenix kind of yeah from phoenix. The ashes. <laughs> so he's got this whole narrative set up for himself yeah totally uh, that um you know i think is really interesting because he's fully in the dream the dream state of, I mean, I'm Hollywood musical. This is going to work out any second. Meanwhile, Mia yeah. is complete opposite. She's like, man, why can't I make it work? Life is hard yeah. out here. Yeah. Um, for a pimp, I had to say that because <laughs> it's Oscars movie. It so is. Maybe think of that. Um, but yeah, so so I think that it, the point of their their romance is that by the end of it, they kind of meet in the middle a little bit, and she he inspires her to yeah. dream a little bigger and. She convinces him, hey, compromise on the name. Nobody wants to go to a place named Chicken on a Stick, which is admittedly a terrible name. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we learn all of that in those opening scenes. You know, you see him in the in the car, like 
listening to the radio. He's like, eh, no, that's not real jazz. And yeah. so you kind of learn from the jump that he's kind of a prick a little bit. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you think this movie does a good job, I guess, balancing, and then we'll get into someone in the crowd. I feel like that going kind of the big musical numbers, using those as, as signposts is, is a decent structure for this conversation. Um, do you think that the movie does a good job balancing both of their stories where you at least understand or empathize with both of them? Or are you like, fuck this guy, Mia, you can do better. <laughs> See what Greg's doing. Maybe he, he's a little less boring now. Poor Greg. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I feel like the movie in general is more Mia's story than Sebastian's. Um, it's, it's way more about her journey through everything. And he's a participant in her story is kind of the way I view it. Um, I, I like that he's rude to her, like not to sound like a misogynist, but like she's rude back. Um, (laughs) I just, I like that he's kind of a jerk. I like that she's not interested at first. Um, you know, he's, he's not perfect. I like how flawed he is that he's just like, can't get his shit together. Doesn't really know like what to do. Cause he's waiting for something to like work. He's just like waiting for, for things to come together for him. And it really takes her pointing out that like, that's not how it works before he finally like gets through his arc really. But I just, I really, I like how flawed he is and she's flawed as well. She's like, pretty close to perfect honestly throughout the whole movie um you just can't help but like root for her the whole time but you know i i love her giving up i love seeing that where she's just like what if i'm not good enough no but what if i'm not oh like, that's like her i think that was her oscar club clip it's actually so good like oh i can't like i love every single scene in the entire movie it's ridiculous <laughs> oh my gosh yeah well i mean i mean i love emma stone in general but particularly mm. in this movie and yeah, I, I think that um, that Sebastian, he's the thing that's the thing that's frustrating about him is that that stubbornness that he does have that pride that it's kind of that it's kind of why I need to really rewatch Inside Lewin Davis because the first time I saw it, I'm like, dude, just get a job, <laughs> like find a way to support yourself, but then also pursue your craft. It's not yeah. all or nothing. Like yeah. Sebastian's the kind of person that literally in the movie John Legend. Steps into the movie almost as John Legend, kind of, um, <laughs> minus uh, Chrissy Teigen, uh, you know, retweets or appearances and whatever. Um, and it basically, almost pretty much offers him a check here, be yeah. make money doing what you love. And he's like, mm, it's not what doing exactly what I love. And we're like, dude, right. but it's also like, or is he? But is he wrong to not to to stick to his guns to up to a certain point? I think that's a question that the movie raises, and obviously, we'll, the whole third act kind of hinges on. So we'll get to that yeah. a little bit later. But um, I guess I also wanted to really point out how much I really love Mia's, uh, the audition scene that you mentioned, where I feel like she's kind of deserves the Oscar for that scene alone, because I would imagine it's oh, hard yeah. to play a successful actress playing a aspiring actress and all the complicated emotions involved in being turned down an audition on an audition, because obviously Emma Stone probably doesn't need to audition anymore for things. Oh, I'm yeah. assuming she's like, here's my filmography. Do you want to meet in this, in this film or not? Yeah. Um, she's offer only. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. So is there any, you have any other thoughts on that or should we just get into uh, someone in the crowd? Um, I do actually think love the audition scene because it is so impressive. Like she's, it's such a moving moment. And then they immediately take you out of it because nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Like as the audience, you're like, wow, she's 
wow, she's so committed. Oh my God, we're the only ones watching her. Like it's it's such a weird moment how she's just completely thrown out of there and dismissed. Um, but like just on like an Emma Stone note purely, I totally remember her being on that weird VH1 Partridge family show. Um, do you remember this? They, I think they I did, remember it happening, but I did not realize it was Emma Stone on it. It was totally Emma Stone. She was Emily Stone at the time. And she was auditioning in like the pack of Lori's, like to play Lori on this Partridge family, like reboot that oh, they were yeah. going to do. And it was a competition show. So like week after week, she had to go out there and be like, no, I'm the best Lori. Watch me sing, watch me dance, watch me act. And like seeing her do a VH1 competition like she gets this character. And so I love seeing her play a struggling actress like that. Like, obviously she's not struggling anymore. She's incredible. She's got her Oscar. She'll probably get another one one day if she keeps like picking amazing movies to do, but she knows the garbage of it. Like VH1, (laughs) like she knows. And that was in 2005, which was just a couple years before Superbad was like her big launch pad. Yeah, yeah. She's, She's worked for it. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, so as we mentioned, we really kind of stick with Mia. I, it, I think it, it's to your point that this is way more Mia's story that we spend, I don't know, 15 minutes or whatever, just with Mia before they're like, oh yeah, and there's another guy here too. Let's show you oh, Sebastian. Hey, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Gosling. What are you, what are you how long have you been sitting there? Yeah, On the, yeah. <laughs> still in traffic. <laughs> On that little, so that little like uh, little stool that, he uh, he, he won't let his sister sit on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so we're with her for quite a while. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure we, we point out too that to the kind of the indie sensibility I was referencing earlier in that scene where she's being ignored by, you know, by the casting agents and stuff, you, the, the way that he shoots that, like it's a close up on the person turning the paper, close up on the, like mm-hmm. you're a hundred percent in her perspective. Yeah. And then just, I mean, it, his style, his visual style in this is just so strong with yeah. the colors that you mentioned. Everything is like so beautifully framed. And, and, and we're, we're talking about like the more realistic segments of the movie. When we get to the, uh, the planetarium sequence, it's like not yeah. a uh, whole other wow. level. <laughs> so uh, to that end, that's kind of a good transition. So someone in, in the crowd where we meet her, uh, her roommates, including uh, Happy Death Day's Jessica Roth, who is one of the roommates <laughs> in there, which I didn't realize until I really fell for the Happy Death Day movies. Uh, as, you know, as a woman, what did you think of the scene with the group of women in a movie written and directed by a man? What, how did that play for you? It worked for me completely. It was just fun for them to see or fun for me to watch them put all this effort into something that ultimately they you know, it's probably going to be a waste of time. Like there's been plenty of times when I've been getting ready to go out with my girlfriends and it's like, this might be the most fun that we have tonight is the part where we're hanging out, getting ready. Like this whole night might be a bust. Like you just don't know when you're going somewhere. Um, You know, I'm not saying I've been any like cool Hollywood parties at a mansion where somebody backflips into a pool, but um, you know, it, that's like part of the fun. And I love even, you know, like, transitioning through that number when they're leaving the house and, you know, they strut down the street to run into her Prius. And then we see all the neon lights of Hollywood as they're like going to this party. So there, there is still the excitement there, even though she's burned out from the audition there, you know, there's still some hope, even though this night might be garbage, there's still the hope there. And I love the, the camaraderie and, you know, stealing 
dresses from your friends. It <laughs> happens. Um, no, I just, I love the whole thing. And I, again, cannot get enough of the red, blue, yellow, and green, like throughout the movie. I yeah. Just, I, I watched uh, part of it earlier today to, to prepare for the episode with my daughter and she was like, I like those colors during this yes. number too. And I wrote that down. I was like, yeah, see, she, even, even she approves of it. At three years old, she, yes. she knows what's up. Uh, <laughs> plus you get this sort of, there's a little bit of a meta humor in there where her first roommate, I forget all of their names because they're just kind of there as Mia's support staff, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of them pops in and is, and it's like, oh, you're done in here? And she's like, oh, I was trying to give you an entrance. Like it's, it's very kind of, yeah. It, it's one of those those sequences where the movie is like, all right, here's our mu- here's our big movie musical number. And then we're going to cut to Emma Stone walking to her car and taking her shoes off because her feet hurt and all this other stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, and I thought that it, it handled that in a really interesting way too, where when she gets to the party and the whole, the whole thing is, you know, all these stakes about, oh, maybe you can have your big break meeting somebody at this party. Mm-hmm. And it's a real sort of uh, 500 days of summer, like reality versus expectations thing where, where yeah. they set off and the music's still upbeat and the montage is happening and people are just like eh, turning away from her and nothing's working out. Like um, that she ends up kind of making her way to the to restroom and it's just like she's down and the world's up kind of thing. It really mm-hmm. sort of sets up her emotional state. And then, of course, she comes out and the slow motion sequence happens <laughs> and everything goes completely apeshit. Yeah. That if you didn't get the first warning in Another Day of Sun, the kind of movie this is going to be, this was... This is your next exit point, I guess. Uh, yes. So what, what did you think? Uh, and I guess, I guess, what are you still, what are your thoughts on when the guy loops in the pool, as you mentioned, and <laughs> everybody just like looking directly at the camera, we're literally in the pool um, yeah. in that sequence. And then there's fireworks like, it's, you know, Disneyland and stuff. What are your, what is your takeaway on that, uh, that moment? Oh, I I'm going to sound like a broken record. I love it. I just, it's so big and over the top and ridiculous. And then it, it truly is like the movie is telling you like, this doesn't make any sense. This is insane. This isn't the night that they thought they were going to have. Like it's too big to be real. There's no way that you're accepting that this is like the way the party really went with like all the madness of it all. Like there's no way. And then to immediately have her <laughs> when it's over car's gone like phone's dead it's just like yeah it, it it's the cut between the madness of the party and all the the fake hollywood fun and the the reality of like your car's been towed and your phone's dead and your feet hurt it's yeah that's how the night went is exactly it, where she thought it was gonna be but it was destiny apparently because she wanders <laughs> into that Yes, <laughs> that club and and sees uh, Sebastian get fired basically. Yes, or not sticking to the script. And again, that's like that. There's that pride that I was talking about earlier, where he's you know he's talking with his sister just before this, uh, or just after that scene. No, just before the scene with her. See, now I'm getting confused with the, com- with the <laughs> order of things. Um, and he's she's talking about oh you should meet this girl. He's like oh, I don't want to meet anyone. He's like so he's like deifying the past basically. His first thing yeah. is does she like jazz? Like I have a very I have a very particular set of skills kind of thing. <laughs> um, and it, and uh, if, if a person doesn't meet all my criteria, I don't even want to entertain any possibilities. Right. Uh, so I, I really like not only the way that that, well, first of all, me and Sebastian's theme is oh, beautiful. So good. <laughs> and I think I have a little bit of mixed feelings with the, the way the Oscars went down because while I love the songs in this movie, I do feel like there was an easy way to split that and give something, give a song to something like, 
Well, I mean, I told you I have a three-year-old. So something like <laughs> uh, Moana's How Far I'll Go, which I also think is a great song. And mm-hmm. I think then that would have made uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda the EGOT that I think he needs. I think that's the last <laughs> thing he needs. And I like the symmetry of sharing the wealth. But I mean, this unequivocally deserved the best score. And I think this one piece alone, I, oh, I, yeah. it's this piece alone is it's basically the the entire the main theme of the whole movie mm-hmm. and i think it's really other than the dream the extended dream sequence never mind now i'm second guessing what i was about to say i was going to say <laughs> other than the, the the extended dream sequence at the end this is really the biggest showcase for justin hurwitz the composer but then i remember the planetarium sequence i'm like nope no not that one either planetarium's no. pretty great herman's <laughs> habit when they're dancing at the lighthouse yes. It's yes. so good. It's so good. Like when I, when I listen to this soundtrack and I listen to, you know, the whole thing, it's like start to finish. I feel like I'm watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I know every beat of it. I know when it's her doing that like weird dance where she puts her arms together in the, the lighthouse where she's dancing while he's playing. Like I know every single moment because the score is so particular that there's no way you can mix up when something's happened. It is it is absolutely insane to me how well the score matches every physical action in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's perfection. Just because I'm curious, do you have, do you listen to the highlights score that has just the main songs or the full one that's like the score and the songs sort of integrated? Because there are different versions of that. The full one. There I want go. it all. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. Because that's because yes. the like more mainstream, I guess, trimmed down. Uh, version just has like the actual songs minus yeah. every little bit of me like I think the um the score or the combined version because they do have the score and the soundtrack separate and then the complete you know the all the music mm-hmm. uh, I think it has it just has a track for when she's in the mirror at the party or just like kind of Mia yeah. goes in the bathroom that's one track I was like wow it's like a minute long okay movie's yeah. really thorough it's it's so much longer there's even in um someone in the crowd there's it's so much longer before she leaves the house and finally joins with them mm. whenever i listen to the regular version of that song i'm like Ugh, but we miss the beat where she like comes out and struts with that blue dress because they completely yeah. cut that part out of like the the like different version of the song i'm like no we need the full like there's like an extra couple of measures as she's like debating like should i go i don't know i don't know and i just i love like the longer version i want every single moment i love yeah. it yeah <laughs> agree uh, obviously her meeting with Sebastian does not go very well. <laughs> and he, he, I mean, t- to his credit, he's not in a good place. She's yeah. not in a good place either, but he feels like in that particular moment, he's in a worse place. Yes. Um, so the, he, you know, I love the little, the little laugh that she does after when he kind of bumps into her and brushes <laughs> past and she does this like laugh, like, why should I even, why do I even bother? Like, why yeah. do I even try? Yeah, like, she's like, basically, again, what, yeah. what else? Yeah, basically she's nearing the point that she gets towards the end of the movie where she's like, I can't anymore. It hurts yeah. too much, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they don't see each other for a whole segment of the movie because it's, it switches over. Now we're in spring mm-hmm. and we get an aud- audition montage of her. And I just want to point out, because we're talking about, uh, you're talking about her dancing later in the lighthouse. And then we're getting to the part where they meet at the pool party. Uh, and he, she makes him sing Iran and, and another great Emma Stone dancing moment. I'm like, yes. this woman is a gift machine. Every time she's in a movie, like you can, you can put, I, I feel, I feel like there is a gift for every single possible response in easy a alone. Yes. Just because like, like every time if you're, 
you know, anytime you go on a BuzzFeed, like a ha- GIF heavy BuzzFeed article or something, they're in one of the ones that has GIFs like every other paragraph. It's always yeah. very Emma Stone heavy because very. she's just very, she's very expressive. And yeah. we have that audition montage where she's like, no, Jamal, you be tripping. And she does that <laughs> eyebrow lift. Uh, I love Emma Stone, I guess is the takeaway from this. So, good. <laughs> so, uh, so they meet here and then I feel like this is where you start to, they start to call each other out and he calls himself a serious musician. Um, and uh, again, with that pride, and she's yeah. she's avoiding the guy, and of course everyone has a Prius in LA, which is yes. uh, nice, nice one, Damien Chazelle. So <laughs> then we get to a lovely night, which, if I recall, when I saw this in theaters, was the moment my wife had to step out to go tend to our our daughter Aww. at the time, and it's just I told her when she came back, I'm like, you missed such a great scene. It's amazing. Um, so. I was going to ask you, what do you, what do you think of a lovely night? But I feel like you're just going to tell me that you love everything about it. <laughs> I <So>, do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like up to this point, this is, this feels like the most, the most classical movie musical moment. The, yeah. It's, there's the court, it's basically the courtship song, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's obviously, I feel like he's into her first, for, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was reading Definitely. that correctly. Um, and... And he's, you know, he's being, he's the one that's playful. I was like, oh, what a nice night. Too bad you'll never get a chance with me. And then she's like, oh, what now? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you talk about it um, a little now. So I have the dress from that scene. Nice. I, it's one of her best dress dresses in the movie, I think. It's it's so fun. And it's like unmistakable if you know the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, was Mia for Halloween one year. I wore my yellow dress, my blue shoes. I had a big red bag and like, I just was giddy about it. Um, I absolutely loved finding out afterwards that that was just what the sky looked like. And they just kept shooting it like at magic hour for a couple of days and just got the take they needed. But it looks like a fake sky. It looks like they're dancing in some soundstage with like fake background behind them. And it's completely real. And it's completely like just nature is amazing. <laughs> like the sunset is beautiful and it's so perfect. Um, it's the perfect setting for for that moment, the back and forth. It's adorably like old school Hollywood musical, how they're, you know, flirting with each other back and forth through the way they're dancing and then, you know, coming together at the end. And then it breaks you out of it with like the most modern Apple <laughs> iPhone ring like ever where you're like, oh, right. It's not, you know, like the 50s and some classic musical. It's, it's now. Um, it breaks you out of it. It's, oh, hi, Greg. Yeah, no, I'm on my way. And then I love, I also, I didn't notice this when I first saw it, that when he, you know, she finds her car, she gets in and leaves, that he walks all the way back down yep. to the house because his car was parked right in front of it. He just yep. walked around with her for no reason, just because he liked her. And it's just like, it's so subtly there that like you really have to be paying attention to be like, oh, right. He walked all the way back down. He was pretending yeah. for his car so he could be with her. Exactly. Yeah, I thought that too about the sky the first couple of times I saw it. And then I think I watched this, this, all the special features or listened to the yeah. commentary or something on <laughs> Blu-ray at some point. And I was like, oh my God, I just assumed like, it was a matte real? painting or something. Right, right. And like that wouldn't have been wrong. Like to do a matte painting there actually would have been like perfect for like the whole theme of the movie. But no, it was real and gorgeous. And that's just, 
you know, what it looked like that night. Yeah. And then the Greg of it all takes both us and uh, <laughs> Sebastian's particularly out of it because it's like, oh, she's got a, well, I mean, we find out later that they've been dating like a month. So it's a not month, like yeah. super serious either. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so it's like, you know, Sebastian's still confident enough to show up at her work. And uh, then they have that real kind of getting to know you conversation walking mm-hmm. around the the uh, studio lot and that's where we hear first mention of her aunt, who obviously she goes into much more later during mm-hmm. an entire song. And, um, you know, I, and I, what I love about those, that scene there is that, as, like I said earlier, like he is fully the dreamer and she is kind of, I guess, more the skeptic, the realist at, yeah. at the beginning of the movie. And so she's like, oh, you know, I'm just trying to do this. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you're not, you're not just an actress. You're a, what is he? She says something like child prodigy playwright. And she's like, no, I'm not. She's like, no, because you don't <laughs> want to say that you are, but you, you are. And he's, he's, he's telling her, just write your own role, own, own roles, make history and that kind of, and he's like more seeing the possibility. And, yeah. and, and it's, it, it's that moment, I think, where you start to realize, especially if you've seen the movie before, how impactful this relationship is for both of them. Like mm-hmm. they don't both end up where they end up at the end of this movie without coming into each other's lives. Exactly. And I, I think that's the beauty. And we'll get into the ending in a little, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but I mean, <laughs> this is where you start to see that kind of push and pull of him inspiring her and her inspiring him to, to you know, to, uh, I guess, again, kind of meet in the middle of what, what is realistic and what, what dreams are worth pursuing and, and that whole thing. So, yeah, so I really love that element of it. And that, you, that conversation scene, you know, we mentioned that later on, there's not as much music, but I think th- those non-music uh, sequences, especially in the first half, are so key in, in developing the characters and the themes, and and really kind of getting you to uh, to those those, I guess not not breaking the fourth wall, but those those big musical, big lavish musical numbers mm-hmm. like City of Stars, which we'll get to in a second. So, did you have any? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, then he takes her to the jazz club. So, what do you? So, let's talk about that scene. Uh, the first time, right? When, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The very, very exciting. Yeah. (laughs) I do. I love that part so much as he's explaining it. Um, when, you know, she's saying that's just the music that people talk over at parties as he's talking over the jazz. Like he, he is just so (laughs) into himself that he doesn't realize that he's doing the thing that she's like, yeah, it's just music people talk over. And he's like, no, it's not. And then he proceeds to talk all (laughs) over it. And look that's at this, what look she's at this hearing. music. You can't talk over this music. Yeah, Pay attention. It's... This guy's doing his own thing. <laughs> he's off on his own. He's off on his own mission. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's he just he can't see the forest for the trees. He's so so focused on like what his passion is that he can't do anything with it. And she's just kind of so focused on like I want to do this job that I want to do. I want to be an actress. Like she's looking at it as I want to do this job. I want to act. And he's looking at it as I want to like live jazz. And they have to kind of like you said kind of meet more in the middle where she has to say like, "Oh, well, I'm not just going to go do something that somebody wrote. I could write something. I I have ideas. I can act in something, you know, that that I have a part in creating and he can look at it as, "Okay, well, it's not just like music just like out there like have a focus. Like this is what the club does. This is the music we play, you know, make it something that people actually want. You know, they both have to grow so much to get to where they're going." Right. And I think that, and I, what, you know, I'm not an actor or, uh, you know, a piano player, musician of any sort, mm-hmm. but 
I think anybody that has any kind of creative aspirations can relate to that. I mean, you know, for example, we both have podcasts, you don't just (laughs) record a podcast and just ramble on about nothing with no focus or no, you know, (laughs) format or just like, Hey guys, it's me just hanging out here. (laughs) The bird just flew by. Like nobody would listen to that crap. Right. You know, you have to kind of watch your analytics, see what people are responding to, try and mix it up, try and follow the trends, but do it your own way. Like there's a lot of that kind of thing. And I think that's, Ultimately, there was, I remember kind of a mild controversy or backlash with this movie because people were saying, well, that's cool that that they made a movie about this jazz musician who, a white guy who's basically schooling <laughs> his black friend to be like, you don't understand, man, this is what yeah. jazz is. And, I, and I, I remember hearing that and thinking, did they see the movie? Because the whole point of the movie is John Legend himself. <laughs> not, not, he has no character, it's just John Legend. Yeah. <laughs> John Legend enters the movie to him, listen, you know, those guys were revolutionaries. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're being so traditionalist? You, mm-hmm. You're trying, you want to save jazz, but nobody's listening to you because you're not exactly. playing the music they want to hear. You got to kind of compromise a little bit. And I, and I think this scene really, you know, really establishes not only how set in his ways he is, mm-hmm. but also how that is, that passion that he has is very alluring. So you can see when he's like talking about like, it's, it's alive and it's, and it's dying and, he gets so into it. You can tell that's where she like really starts to fall for him. Yeah. That, you know, that, that, that kind of energy is infectious to be around. Plus, you know, he looks like Ryan Gosling and, and all that, so that <laughs> <Yeah>. helps. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that's, that's really kind of the, the crux of their, um, of their burgeoning relationship. And then they sort of set up the rebel without a cause thing, air quotes for research at that point. <laughs> um, and then of course we get to Oscar winning best original song. Well, the first part of it, uh, City of Stars and yeah. the whole scene. I'm just like, don't give that guy that hat. That's a cool hat. You should keep the hat because I'm a hat guy, obviously. Um, so, what? Uh, how do you think that song sort of, uh, I guess, informs his character? Because it's the first. It's the first, and I believe only time we really see Sebastian sing by himself, not duetting with her, not just playing the piano. Mm-hmm. So. What do you, what are your thoughts as to how that lets us into his his state his emotions at that point? Yeah, I feel like that's showing us a more vulnerable side of Sebastian is that yeah. you you're watching him sort of express the effect that she's had on him um away from her. So it's I don't know, somehow it's like more vulnerable to me that that it's not to her because there's no benefit. Mm-hmm. To him being vulnerable, like to him being vulnerable to her is like, oh, well, she'll see that I feel this way and like, she'll like get me better or like me more or do like, but for him to just have this kind of moment on his own, you know, with like a dancing couple that he doesn't know, um, it just, it makes it feel more genuine that he's like expressing these feelings himself. And you see him in a very different way than, than he's been thus far in the movie. You know, he's not you know, freaking out about anything or complaining or, uh, you know, committing vandalism as we see later. Like he's just kind of letting everything wash over him and, and kind of through that song, letting us know where this story is going to go. Yeah. And he also, I think presents such a confident, you know, uh, ego fueled air so often of the movie that this is like one of the (laughs) only times that he's basically like, He's basically singing like, or is this just another dream that I cannot make true kind of mm-hmm. thing? Like, is this, is, yeah. is this going to be doomed? Just like all the, everything else I try to do, like, do I suck at life? Basically yeah. is kind of the point of his song. Yeah. 
totally. and I and I think you know you get sort of a short term answer to that when that song reoccurs later on as a duet with them talking about you know them being together and how they can uh, make their dreams come true sort of with each other's support help mm -hmm. with their you know their love and their dreams are kind of their their love and their dreams are sort of intertwined at that point so that later on when she believes her dream is dead when her nobody shows up for her woman one woman play mm -hmm. she's like it's over he's like what he's like all of it the dreams the us everything's all it's all you know it all comes crashing down because it's all yeah. become kind of one and the same over the course of the movie yeah so uh, Greg is boring, I guess, because she's, <laughs> <Poor Greg. laughs> she's just not into it at all. And I think it's telling that they're talking about, oh yeah, you know, you can have almost the same, almost the same kind of experience as going to the movie theater at home. I got a home, like that. If you listen to their conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Their conversation what, is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like, you know, we see later on the Rialto where they go see Rebel Without a Cause has closed where it's like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the place that Sebastian used to play is a Samba tapas place as he's yes. infuriated by <laughs> ongoing, uh, as you mentioned with the uh, vandalism. So it's, I think it's, it's, it's really another theme of the movie is that the things that, well, like he says later, he says, uh, that's Los Angeles. They um, worship everything, but value nothing. Value nothing. Yeah. Which is a, which has a, a very memorable line that I, I wrote down to specifically reference. <laughs> and I think that it's kind of about finding, finding, you know, vestiges of the past and holding on to them uh, in a way that the movie itself does. I mean, like, like we mm -hmm. said, this is a throwback to classic musicals from like the fifties and sixties and things like yeah. that. And I think the movie is like, well, how can we take elements of that, but still make it relevant for 2016? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's such an accomplishment, like throughout to just continue to be able to take us into these kind of old school moments, but never make it feel like impossible. Like the clothes they wear are not clothes that normal people wear. Like Sebastian, like from the jump, like you can tell he's like, he's that guy. Like you look at him and you're like, all right, I get it. Um, but even her costume throughout the movie, um, you know, it, the movie is setting them apart in a way that is just different enough from everyone else that it it elevates them. So the mm. conversation that, you know, Greg and his brother and his brother's wife are having about, you know, like ecotourism and, you know, watching a movie, watching movies in your home theater and then like to interrupt it. And I think he has like a business call from China. Like it's just like none of that is completely wrong on its own, but it's just there to show us how different they are. Mm. They'd rather go see this old movie at an old theater and he's wearing a suit and she's wearing this beautiful dress. And it's just like, like nobody does that. Like, it's just like, they're in their own world within this whole world. It's just, but it's, they never feel like they don't belong completely. So I don't, I don't know how Chazelle like walks that line, but he just totally does. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you mean with Mia and Sebastian, like uh, how their relationship is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's just that their, their paths just start diverging in opposite directions. And that's a, the question that the movie, I think, really asking later on is, mm -hmm. you know, can you pursue your dreams and maintain a relationship at the same time? Or is it sort of a trade-off, like focus on, you know, like you see in like a million romantic comedies, like, oh, I'll meet a guy, but right now I need to work on my career and then that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, oh, magic guy comes along and now everything's fixed. Um, 
so I feel like it's, it's sort of that kind of thing. Like, does the movie does the movie give a clear answer on that? And you know, even when Sebastian, when she gets the um, the call, when he gets the call for her uh, for the yeah. audition, the big audition, which we'll get to, uh, <laughs> he, you know, his thing is, you know, you have to give this everything. You're going to get this, and it's gonna, you got to give it everything you you have. You know, like, I don't want to be the one holding you back, essentially. Yeah. And I think that's that's an interesting um, an interesting question that the movie sort of, I guess, kind of puts out there. I, I Do you think it really lands on one side or another? Um, you know, it's kind of tough to say because it, she has left. Like, she's left. She's gone back home. And presumably, you know, they say the auditions like the next day he gets her, picks her up, they drive back. She does the audition in like a weird outfit that I can't imagine anybody would have chosen for such an important thing. But okay. That's like the one outfit choice I'm not on board with in the entire movie. Um, but, but when they have that conversation, you know, like if you get this, like what happens with us, it's, it's sort of weird because you're like, well, she already left you. Like she already went home and called this whole thing off like it's you you can kind of see how connected like the the dreams and the dream of the relationship are to the point where all of a sudden this is a conversation to be had when she had left LA like what difference would it make if she leaves LA again for something else um and you know why couldn't he play over there Mm-hmm. there's jobs there. Like everything gets presented though in that like dream sequence of how it would work. Um, so it, the movie poses these questions and sort of attempts to answer them in a, in a dream scenario. Cause you never really know why it doesn't work. And I, I, I really like that too. Like the, the dinner they have where they have the argument where he burns the food. Um, I, I really love that scene because it, it feels like a, a real argument where it's just like, oh, we're having such a great night. And then you say one stupid thing and the other person is like, nope, not letting it go. And it just devolves and ruins what was supposed to be this perfect thing. And you kind of got to decide, are we going with this? Are we not going with this? And I just, I really like that they have like that kind of, the kind of fight that you just immediately regret. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I love that they have that argument. I love how the room's all like green and purple. It's like different lighting than we've had throughout the movie. Um, it's just, you can, you can see without, without having like a cliche Hollywood rom-com misunderstanding and I can explain. And then the other person walks away, which like has literally never happened in real life. Um, nobody walks away from someone who says I can explain, but that's not how it works. It happens in movies constantly, but they don't, they don't have like a ridiculous kind of moment bringing them apart. They have like a moment that's been built up and built up and built up from the tension of their lives, pulling them in separate directions. And that feels like enough to me to be like, well, you know, I guess it didn't work out between them there's a lot of things that could have happened and you can kind of, you have the foundation for why it would have worked in that scene. But it's also not something super dramatic. Like nobody, nobody, nobody cheats on each other or anything like that. Why do they, why do they separate? It's just life shit. I mean, you know, (laughs) he's now, and what's complicates it. And again, this is very realistic. He's now in this job that he doesn't really enjoy because he overheard that conversation with her Mm -hmm. on the phone with her mom. And he's like, I have to be, you know, I have to be better for her, I have to provide stability, mm-hmm. you know, to make this work. So he sacrifices his dream 
to be with her. And then she's like, why did you sacrifice? You know, but of course yeah. she didn't ask him to do that. That was his own choice. It's like, I've been in a relationship, my wife and I've been together for nine years. So when you are in a relationship that long, I think you, when you watch movies like this, you're like, yeah, that's exactly, that's how things can get complicated or yeah. twisted around or, or bitterness or guilt. Like you can see on her face when she's like, well, why, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to be doing this to a couple of years, maybe more or whatever. You can see that she, she doesn't want the, the, the guilt on that. She doesn't want the responsibility on that. It wasn't, yeah. she didn't ask him, Hey, I, I know you want this club. That's whatever. But you know, um, he feels obligated to do so in order to do that. And then it's that whole another the other question of like, what, what point do you give up on your dreams? What point do you need? Do you need to grow up? As the movie says. Yeah, exactly. It, despite it being a movie full of fantasy, their differences in their relationship feel very grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think before we kind of move forward into the uh, uh, the last section of the film, we need, we sort of skipped over a little bit over the planetarium sequence. So we need to give that oh. its own focus. <laughs> uh, you know, we have the planetarium scene, then we have the whole summer montage with them, as you said, dance her dancing at the lighthouse, which I love. Uh, the one woman show, which we don't see, which I think is a great move because yes. it would have anything they would have come up with would have been disappointing it wouldn't have lived up to Sebastian Miller like, it's a masterpiece yeah um so the planetarium scene so she shows up at the movie theater you get that great shot of Emma Stone standing in front of the audience with the light of the screen behind her again mm-hmm. one of those beautiful um bits of cinematography in this movie yeah and just comes over to him so, you know he stands up he gives her a one person standing ovation right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> she comes over they sit there and the movie kind of plays and then you get what I think is this one of the sweetest moments in the movie where these are grown-ass people they've been in relationships whatever the whole thing is it just becomes really really kind of beautiful and chaste it's about their hands kind of finding their way to each other in the dark it's like that mm-hmm. little bit of of sebastian making himself you know that's that thing that every guy has experienced on a first date is going to the movies um that <laughs> you know you're sort of like looking at her hand like, how do I angle this, you know, the right way? Like, what do I do? You sort of go for it and sort of pull back, uh, that kind of thing. And I, and I really think that that's a, a really sweet moment that the movie focuses on, where then their their fingers interlock. And it's, again, to, to Chazelle's, you know, style, the, the way that it, like, you get like a hard close-up on their hands kind of gripping together. And the two of them uh, almost about to kiss before the, the film burns through and then they find their themselves <laughs> at the planetarium. So... Now they break in and, you know, they're criminals, but they're in love. So it's okay, I guess. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also like, at what point, I mean, this is not a question the movie really, really reckons with or cares to explore, but at what point, how much of this really went down? Did they, they probably yeah. just broke in, sat there, and then were like fireworks because they were so in love and then, uh, you know, went home or whatever. But it, luckily, I think what happens too often in movies is I think that we get so hung up, audiences, mainstream audiences especially, which is why it's impressive that this movie made 400 and whatever, 46 million worldwide or whatever I said (laughs) earlier, that we get so focused on it being literal. Like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. they can't really fly? What is this crap? Um, The whole point of of movies and how they started a million years ago is that it was basically dreams come to life. And I think this, that's, you know, cinema and in its purest form. And I think we really get a wonderful taste of that in this sequence. Yeah, it's 
it's so perfectly choreographed and scored and their performances, even just to like the tiniest facial expressions are just so perfect. Like I can't, I can't stop praising this movie. This has got to be getting annoying. I can't (laughs) just like, it's absolutely gorgeous. When I was watching it, I was like, I can't, I just can't process this. The moment where he just sort of like throws her into the air. Mm -hmm. Like I was the first time I saw it, I'm like, what is happening? Like I just, I I was like along for the ride. I was like completely in awe of it. I I swear I watched half this movie with like my mouth hanging open the first time. Just it it just comes together in such a way that seems impossible to present the the concept of like what that scene will be. But it it is there in the execution, and I just I I don't know how he did it. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, it's a great way to capture that moment where you're really falling for someone where everything mm-hmm. literally feels magical and you feel like you can literally fly. And I, But I yeah. like that he also includes that shot when he like grabs her waist where she's like, uh-oh, what are you about to do? Yeah. <laughs> right before he lifts her up. And then, yeah, you you know, the audience, is, it's sort of, um, I think, kind of a similar reaction to when people saw Crouching Tiger for the first time. So like, wait a minute, why are they jumping on rooftops? Because that's, especially, you know, in the U.S., you know, we're not used to that kind of storytelling uh, as as they are in uh, in China and such. So I think that that, this kind of elicits a similar response where, yes, the movie's been fantastical, but not to the level where they're literally traveling through through space. Uh, But then when you get to that point where they're doing the silhouette dance, like uh, in the stars, it's just like, you're, 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 you're completely invested in it, I think, yeah. by then. And that, that, that image just actually used to be my, my wallpaper on my uh, laptop, on my Aww. desktop. Because I <laughs> love that shot. And I think that sequence is just so beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and then, of course, they drift to Earth and they kiss. And then yeah. they're happy until they're not. So now we're caught up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the planetarium sequence, which has no vocals, but is 100% a musical number. Um, yeah, it's completely. Just, again, one of those, to, to touch back to old Hollywood musicals, they often had sequences that were just dance that weren't no mm-hmm. singing involved. I mean, look at, you know, uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and all that. Like they sang here and there, but it was a lot of it was just dance sequences mm-hmm. and kind of two people focused on, uh, on a stage kind of doing their thing. And I think this scene is, is sort of a beautiful throwback to that. Yeah, definitely. So we get the City of Stars second time where they're singing about how much they love each other, how great everything's going as we're sort of seeing, uh Oh, things are not going great. They're about mm-hmm. to get really messed up. Uh, and then we get to John Legend's uh, start a fire. I know he's playing a character named Keith, but he's basically playing John Legend <laughs> in this yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I, what I really like about that is the way that the camera really, the way it's shot specifically highlights Mia alone in yeah. this crowd. Um, and sort of getting pushed further and further back and her kind of trying to gauge whether or not Sebastian is into it. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I just love the, the opening on him. Like we see, you know, to this point in the movie, we've not seen anybody enjoy any of his music. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. um, he gets fired for it. He's struggling trying to like recapture certain chords, like when he's practicing at home. You know, no, nobody's really been into Sebastian, the piano player, until this point. And, um, you know, seeing that and the whole crowd is like totally into it and she's all excited. And then it just shifts to being like a, a different 
style than what she's expecting. And it's, it's such a, a weird moment in the movie because that sounds good. Like, yeah, it is. It that's is good. Slaps. Like it's great. <laughs> but, um, even while you're like, yo, that's good. You're kind of like, but well, well, this is, this doesn't go with the rest of the songs. This, this feels completely different. Mm-hmm. And, and you're kind of like her and she's not completely like upset about it. She manages to walk this line of like, look at him up there. And, and he, he seems into it, but I know he hates this music. I don't even have to ask. Like it, when they get to it later and she's like, do you yeah, like exactly. music you're playing? Like that's a rhetorical question. She knows he doesn't like the music <laughs> he's playing, but like she's still trying to see the good in that moment for him. And you know, the, like you said, the way it's shot where like the light is on her, you're just looking at her and she's separating from the whole crowd of people. It's, it visually is telling you everything you need to know about that sequence. Like it could work without the great song. Like if that scene was just completely silent, you would still 100% understand what's happening. Right. And she's with it at the beginning when it's just the piano. And even when it gets like very pop, you know, very poppy, uh, you know, she's she's still enjoying it as he as he asked her later, you know, in that same conversation. It's like, do you like it? She's like, yeah, do you? And she's like, nah, not so much. <laughs> um, but I think it's when, you know, first she does the synthesizer yeah. on the piano and then dancers come in and dancers. then more dancers. And she's like, what the <laughs> hell is yeah. going on? And I think on one hand, she's like, this is kind of cool. But also, as you said, I think she's she's realizing how much this is not what Sebastian is about. Mm-hmm. And I think there's almost, I think you could read in her performance in that scene or at least in the the fight scene, the initial fight scene, not the the big breakout uh, breakup outside of the theater, uh, you can sort of see a little bit of her kind of being like, oh, this is not the guy I fell in love with. This isn't the kind of thing he'd be into, you know? Yeah. That that the passion that she says in the in that fight scene, she says, you know, uh, what is it? People love what other people are passionate about, and mm-hmm. he's not passionate. Like his his whole thing was being the dreamer, coming from a place of passion, and here he is just playing a synthesizer for a paycheck. So yeah. I think a little part of her is like, oh man, did I bring him down? Like, yeah. what is this? You know, and then he poses the question to her. Maybe you only liked me when I was in, when I was, you know, on my ass so Ugh. that you could feel better. It's like, Ugh. yeah, that's the one where she's like, oh, end of conversation. Yeah. Um, where she is not. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the, the big kicker. I think where they start to realize, I don't know if this is going to work out. Um, so yeah. So then he, then the, the big, the real breakup happens outside the theater where she's, She's completely over everything. She goes mm-hmm. back home. And I love not only that he gets the call from the casting agent, but that he goes there because he's such a, I guess, was such a good boyfriend in that he listened such to her. Such a good listener. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. I guess there's that. He's like, oh, how's it, you know, because he was Across completely- Across from the library. I think she thought at some point that, I don't know. I don't know if she, I think she thought that his- number one priority was the music, like even the, the, um, what's the band, the messengers Mm -hmm. when really he was a hundred, he was just doing that for her. And I don't think she, you know, obviously she didn't know that for a while. And I think that's where it's, it starts to dawn on, on her maybe that he was invested from the jump. Like he was in this relationship because he cared, had feelings for her, not because he's like, you know, I don't know. Am I making any sense whatsoever? Yeah, no, completely. (laughs) I I think I was rambling on there. I think that she doesn't see him compromising on his dream as Mm -hmm. anything other than somebody just getting lazy and getting complacent and not somebody who's maybe shifted their priorities and is more focused on 
what they can do to be in this relationship than what they can do for following their own dreams, which is all they've been doing to this point and hasn't seemed to get him anywhere. Like he's coming at it from a completely reasonable perspective, which is like, this is a hell of a gig. This is too much money to turn down just because it's not exactly what I want. It still is, you know, you know, it's not as out of whack from his normal music as it could be. You know, mm-hmm. he's not just like playing like some backup and he's not important. Like he's getting solos, like his talent is valued. It's not an insane gig for him to take. Um, so, you know, she doesn't see it at all as it having anything to do with her for, I think, a long time. And I think that's ultimately her realizing how involved he has been in supporting her dreaming in, you know, pushing her to do everything she wants to do. I think ultimately that's her realizing that is sort of goes hand in hand with the audience realizing this this isn't a story about two dreamers. This is a story about Mia and the person who helped get her there too. Um, I think that that moment kind of comes together for the audience and for her at the same time when he takes her to that audition and they sort of have that conversation of like, well, you're going to do this. You're going to be great. It's going to happen. And you kind of see that we don't really care about his band anymore at that point. Like it's, yeah. you're like, oh, right. Well, you know, well, we just care about what she gets. Like he's already had not a big break, but a break. And mm-hmm. like, it, it doesn't have the same impact when he gets that gig as it does for us when she gets the audition for the job in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree with that completely. And I, and what I, I, I just love that he's, he's fighting for her dreams when she's given them up, you know, yeah. that he, he's basically at that point, he's not even really trying to save the relationship. He's yeah. just trying to keep her hope alive basically. And, yeah. and he bends over backwards to do that. And I think that's, that's a really lovely sentiment in that, yes, you know, their, their, you know, their love is not going to work out and all that, but ultimately these, these two people crossed each other's paths. If you want to believe in that kind of thing for a mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. And I think that, you, you know, she would not have, she wouldn't have gone to that audition at all had she not been in the relationship with him. And granted she wouldn't be home if she hadn't, hadn't you know, the whole thing was like a, a domino effect. Yeah. But I think it, that, that road that leads her, to uh, being married to Tom Everett Scott, <laughs> the movie <laughs> starts starts with her meeting Sebastian and mm-hmm. wandering into that club uh, yeah. when he's getting fired. And I think it's it's I feel like we're basically now at that point where we're kind of leaning into the winter section of the movie. But I like that they have that beautiful conversation uh, as as you sort of alluded to uh, at on the bench and you know talking about that they're always going to love each other. And I think mm-hmm. acknowledging that connection that they had and that, you know, the people that you meet change you and they, and they push you to become who you're air quotes supposed to be. And yeah. I think that that's, I think that is ultimately a lot more powerful as we sort of, as we already said, than just like, Oh, these two people love each other. Like it's, yeah. it's a more, much more profound point that the movie makes and had this, you know, she got the audition and they're like, let's try it again. And then cut yeah. to like their wedding or something. I think everybody yeah, was like, I think everybody like, all right, that was, that was good. I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. If, if it the wouldn't movie be ends, transcendent. Yeah. If the movie ends with her being a huge actress whose face is on the side of a building and he runs a successful jazz club, like that's kind of like, like mm-hmm. oh, yeah. really? <laughs> that's what happened? Like that, uh, 
truly, that's why I love it so much is it sure. It's a fantasy story, even for both of them, that he gets his club, that she gets to be famous and, and to be an, an actress in what we assume was a good movie, that movie in Paris, because it's been years since then. So mm-hmm. hopefully she's made some other good stuff since then. She's not, you know, kind of a hack, but we don't, we don't know any of that, but the idea that it could work out where they both get exactly what they want, like, you know, they both get it apart from each other and, and there's just, uh, I don't know. I just can't even, it feels like such an insane move that they made to, to end it the way they did, yeah. but it feels like it couldn't, it couldn't have gone the other way. It just wouldn't have been right. Um, to kind of force it together in a happy ending. I remember when the movie came out, uh, I heard on another podcast that somebody brought up the kind of the complaint about that maybe it's a little too neat that they both get literally exactly what they want. <laughs> like yeah. he wants a club. I think, I feel like he compromises more than she does. Like he gets a club. Yeah. He changes the name and all that other. I don't even think it's yeah. in the location that he wanted it to be. It's no, it's not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why otherwise she'd be like, Oh, this is Sebs. Oh, yeah, familiar. she would know if she was going to the Van Beek. Like <laughs> yeah, she exactly. knows that place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and but she gets literally like there's a, an entire callback scene to hey, I was once the barista like you, and now I'm over yeah. here getting you know free coffee offered to me and and classically walking out while everyone's talking about me behind my back. Yeah. That kind of thing. Do you think that the movie would have benefited from giving her a slightly more realistic uh, uh, outcome as far as her acting career? Or do you think the very point of the movie is that, you know, they they achieved what they were able to achieve because uh, because they crossed each other's paths and maybe that message wouldn't come through as, as strongly? Yeah, I think the idea that they both get what they want, but they get it apart from each other is like perfect the way it is. You know, we don't we don't know when we're first seeing her kind of come back at the coffee and go back to um, the hotel, like we don't know that she's not with him. Like it, there's the reveal there. Mm -hmm. Like it takes some time. And I think to see like, oh my God, she, she became hugely famous. It's been years later. Like I, she did it. Like she achieved her dream. You're so excited for her and so happy that she gets to have that cathartic moment of like throwing all the money down at the same coffee shop. And, and then you're, you're just kind of like, oh no, but he's gone. Oh, wh- what do we do? Like, what what happened? Oh God, she looks really happy with that baby. Like, you're just like, oh, I I guess I don't know Mia like I thought I did. Like, <laughs> you just you kind of go through so many feelings catching up with her so fast that I think when it slows down and we get like our fantasy sequence of how it could have been, um, that really like points out the sadness in that there still is a loss. She has everything she wants, but there still was a loss there and you kind of get to dwell in that like sadness and, you know, the kind of bittersweet ending of it all. So I really, the, even like the ridiculous shot of her sitting in the club watching. And then like, now we have Ryan Gosling sitting next to her instead Mm -hmm. of Tom Everett Scott. Like, it's just so weird because you know that they're watching him up there. Like, It's kind of weird, but kind of perfect at the same time. Like I can't, I can't really explain why it works. It's yeah. good, but it's just like a perfect comparison to like what this would have been. And um, yeah, I really think you get to kind of dwell in 
in the realization of where the years have taken them both. I, I like too that they do this sort of uh, kind of something that Avengers Endgame actually, I run weirdly enough, that did it <laughs> towards the beginning where they have the, you know, Avengers Endgame, they had the five pause, 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 years, pause, pause, pause later. Here yeah. they do, they do winter. Yeah. And then they have a separate card for five years later because you just assume, oh, okay, what happened right after? Did you get the audition? Yeah. And then they- It's, they, it's they, a it's, crazy moment. Yeah. It's very jarring to be like, oh my gosh, wow. She's like, not only is she an actress, she's married to this other guy and has a kid. And I think the, what makes that sequence, I think, not as awkward considering you're like, oh, wait a minute, is she- fantasizing about a life that she almost had with another guy while she's sitting next to her husband and like, mm-hmm. I messed it up. Second <laughs> place, honey, just so you know. Um, is that I don't necessarily read it as her fantasizing about what might've been. I think it's just her. And, and that's a question too. Is it, is it her vision or dream? Is it his? Is it sort of a shared experience? It's, it's unclear. I feel like it's obviously more hers and this is way more her, her story. So I think it feels, makes more sense if it comes from solely her perspective. But I think I feel like it's more her kind of having the hindsight to look back and see that had things happened differently, you know, she would have been fine. She would they would have they might have would have figured out a way to make it work. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, what happened where she is, well it wouldn't have happened without him. And that's that that's that she's it's more of an, an appreciation and and kind of a a look of gratitude that I think they give each other at the end and more sadness on his end as well. Cause she's like, well, bye, I'm going to go with my husband and my kid and my big, <laughs> you know, my big mansion or my millions of dollars that I make after making all these movies. And you mean, he has a club, but as far as we know, he's alone. He's probably still, you know, holding, uh, you know, holding on to the feelings that he had for Mia. Who knows mm-hmm. if he ever really got over that, or maybe he's got a wife and kids at home, but you don't really get that the way the movie ends on his, uh, on him kind of sadly lingering glance oh, as she walks out. So good. Yeah. And then goes back to playing. I, you don't, I don't get that read. I get the fact that I get the, she got more out of that than he did, I think is, yeah. what, is what the point is. She got every, like I said, she got everything he wanted. He had to learn to compromise a little. So it's yeah. like, yeah. read into that, whatever you will. But I do love that, that moment at that, not only that that is such a tour de force sequence where we do get like the sets, we do get like kind of matte paintings, we do get kind of uh, silhouettes and all, all pretty much Damien Chazelle's breaking out his entire bag of tricks that he's mm-hmm. like parsed out <laughs> over the course of the movie. He's just like, all right, all of it, everything, yeah. more, more, bring bigger, it bigger, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> faster and more intense. Um, and and I think you get kind of a microcosm of everything that this movie is about in that one. And I think it's like, I don't know, it's like an eight minute sequence or something. It's kind of goes on for a while. Uh, And that's not a complaint. That's actually completely the opposite. (laughs) To the point where we even get home videos, like they they literally sit down in the dream and watch a movie of what would have happened after the movie that we're watching. Mm -hmm. So you like, not only does it do the little women thing of like, here's the ending we give you and here's the ending you want, is Mm -hmm. that they also give you kind of a mini version of a sequel. Like yeah. right in the middle of the end of the movie, like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone sit down and they're just like, ooh, this is what La La Land 2 would have been about. We get pregnant yeah. in our house and all this other stuff. And then <laughs> I would be here with you instead. Uh, and, I, and I love that. But I think to, to, to end the, the conversation, I think the best, the, the best moment is that, that look between the two of them. And not only mm-hmm. do they have lock eyes and they recognize that the relationship they had, while it didn't end long, you know, it wasn't meant to be long term made a tremendous difference uh, in their trajectories 
and you get that smile and that little nod from Ryan Gosling that uh, oh, it's so, so, so great. <laughs> Do you have any, any other uh, additional thoughts on, uh, I guess, the final sequence or really anything about La La Land at this point? Yeah, I, um, the exchange between them at the end is, it's so hard to have a favorite part in this movie, but I, I think that might be my favorite is just right at the end. Like the look she gives him is, like you said, is absolute sort of like appreciation and love for him. But in a way that is like, thanks, I gotta go. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they could have stayed for him to play longer. She could have said like, oh, well, I'd like to talk to him afterwards. Like there, there's no reason why that has to be the last moment they see each other. Right. That being the last moment they see each other is a choice on her part. That For she's sure. like, yeah, let's go and leave. Like now but, she knows where his club is. She's in LA all the time. Like they could see each other again, <laughs> but like that's her sort of saying goodbye again in that mm-hmm. moment. And for him to just sort of nod back, like, yes, like. You're welcome. Like, <laughs> kind of like, yeah, like <laughs> you're welcome. I know that like I am part of why you're where you are. You're where, why I'm where I am. Like you designed my logo in my club. Like they both have part of each other, like intrinsically in their lives forever, even though that, that other person isn't going to be there anymore. And I do absolutely love that the movie ends with him counting off another song that we never get Mm -hmm. to hear. Like, it's the best way to end it because he's still working on things. He's still like, (laughs) all right, let's play a song. Yeah, he's exactly. still he's still got things to do. And, you know, it's a fantastic ending to the movie. It reminds me also a little bit about um, a little bit of Marriage Story, actually, in the way that that movie ends. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, she's in a new relationship. Things are going spoilers for Marriage Story. I don't know. I'm assuming you've <laughs> seen that at some point. Have you seen yes. Marriage Story? Yes. Okay, good. I don't want to ruin <laughs> the ending. I kind of already no, did. but no. <laughs> um, <laughs> So spoilers for Marriage Story already happened. Um where she's in a new relationship, she's got things kind of figured out and he's still got some healing left to do where he's mm-hmm. reading her letter and kind of reflecting on how he could have done things differently or, or whatever. And I, I think, you know, to Mia's credit, I actually think she probably thinks rightfully so. If I walk over there and I'm like, hey, Sebastian, this is my husband. We have a great life. Bye. That that would make it actually even worse. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think she takes the highest road available to her in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's sort of one of those, like, I mean, it's not like he hasn't known what what has happened to her life. Like, right. she's on the wall of the building where his nightclub is. When they walk down the street, it's her face on the wall. She's hugely famous. Mm-hmm. He's not been able to go a day without seeing her, essentially. And then she happens to walk in to his club. Like... She's all the jazz clubs in all the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's um she she gets everything and you know that doesn't include him because she seems pretty happy with the uh, shades. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's happy with Tom Everett Scott. So nice. um yeah, it's it, it's a really like I said, it's a bittersweet ending because the whole movie you want them to be together. But you can also see why that's not everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, I think we've kind of tied it up pretty nicely. Uh, <laughs> unless we have anything else, the Lady Wan, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? 
Sure. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at the lady one. Um, that's W A N as in Obi Wan. Um, you can follow the show that I'm on screen fix at screen fix pod on Twitter and Instagram or on Facebook too. Um, and you can listen to screen fix podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Subscribe to Screen Fix. It's a really fun show. I know from personal experience. Um, so thank you so much, The Lady Wan, for coming on and talking about La La Land. I know we went longer than uh, than scheduled. That seems to be hap- that seems to happen a lot with me. I just I don't know if it's I talk too much or it's just the movies are just that dense. But um, but yeah, thank you for taking the time to to delve into La La Land. And I'm sure I'll be running the soundtrack ad nauseum tomorrow. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. It's very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very exciting. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Your thoughts on La La Land. Go. Um, I want my mama. What? <laughs>